Welcome to Discast Here, a podcast for parents and educators about the best way to support kids living with learning difficulties. Today we're joined by Dr. Sandra Marshall, who's a GP in South Australia and a passionate advocate for kids and families living with dyslexia. Sandra was the co-founder of Dyslexia SA and is now the chairperson of Code Red Dyslexia Network in Australia. Code Red's all about raising awareness about dyslexia and supporting and empowering people living with dyslexia and their families. Sandra was recently instrumental in achieving the introduction of a year one phonics check for all students in South Australia, which is an amazing achievement and is going to make a huge difference to students living with dyslexia. I'm Michael Shanahan. I'm Bill Hansberry. And can we introduce our special guest, Michael? Yes, please. (laughs) Sandra Marshall. Now, before we go on, Sandra, I'd better acknowledge that we are again on the lands of the Ghana people and pay respects to the fact that they are the traditional custodians of where we are. Yes. Yeah. Here, here. Well, so, Sandra, we sit here. The, the Sandra, I, I'm, well, I'm kind of a little bit flustered because you're all to me, Sandra. <laughs> we sit in Sandra's back room and we're surrounded by um, the history, I think, that led to where we are today. Um, I'm looking at some northern... Uh, Northern Adelaide local uh, Medicare awards with dag bags on them, and some dad, some dag bags Pinot Grigio. How do you pronounce that, Sandra? Have I got that right? I'd say that's correct. To my yeah. right, I've got a ton of books. We've got Shay Witz's Overcoming Dyslexia: Visible Learning by Hattie Seidenberg's Language at the Speed of Sight. Neil McKay, Neil McKay's. Uh, uh, he, uh, removing dyslexia as a barrier to achievement, and I think, uh, mm. among others, really, really good work. Sandra, what we're surrounded by, even on the wall, is a testament to this has been a long road and we're having a sip of wine. For, and, the, and the label is The Wild Ride. Sandra, it's been a wild ride, hasn't it? <laughs> It has. I'd never thought it would. I would still be advocating um, a decade on from when I began, but um, we've come a long way. But there's sadly a long way to go, and I always feel like if you take your foot off the pedal, the journey goes back a step or two, which is why it's so important for more advocates to step up and help because it's it's a hard gig, and mm. um, the more that join in, the easier it becomes. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe, Sandra, if you could just maybe give a little bit of an introduction to yourself, how you got into this, what, you know, a bit of a, a background of how you got involved. Well, um, I guess, um, <laughs> oh, gee, long term, I guess, I've, I grew up in the country and I went to five different schools and um, I was only thinking today, I cannot remember the first three years of my schooling because I was struggling, I was failing and I completely blocked that part of my life out. It wasn't until grade four that the teacher rescued me somehow and I, and I started to find success. And as you know, success leads to more success. So you probably see my eyes. I'm quite ashamed. I feel ashamed of my earlier schooling. Mm. It, it wells me up. Mm-hmm. And I somehow have managed to put that behind me. Um, you know, I'm good at sciences and maths, so I've... Um, got into medical school through sheer hard work and um, found it really, really hard going to get through medical school up until um, fourth year and it became more practical and then again I found my my groove. So um, And then I went into general practice and I guess 
I've only heard this recently and I think it's true that being a GP is like doing parent-teacher interviews every day. So <laughs> it's kind of really intense mm. and you're always worried about connecting with people appropriately and making a difference mm. in that short period of time. But um, it gives you a lot of practice at that. Yeah. So I think that's what sort of set me up for advocacy because you're mm. constantly advocating for patients as a GP, mm. particularly mm. out here in Gawler. And, um, and then uh, my uh, husband and I have had two little boys and I was really looking forward to them starting school because I thought finally I can, you know, get back to some meaty work and get my teeth back into medicine because mm. I was very part-time. And then uh, lo and behold, both our boys struggled and we had done everything to help them, you know, from speech therapy to occupational therapy to tutors and... Um, when the second one came along, I was—I even had all the alphabet around his room as a freeze. I was determined, you know, he would be a talking, um, reading little mite. <laughs> but he started school and we chose our local school because it was a friendly school, had a good vibe, good community. And um, I just put my trust in the school. And mm. everyone says that, don't they? They say, just trust the teachers and... Just, you know, don't be the helicopter parent. So, yeah, yeah I, I did that. I let the school take over and um, it was disastrous. Mm. Um, the first son wasn't too bad. Like he did learn to read eventually, but he couldn't spell, still can't spell. And it was, sadly, it wasn't until year 11 he was finally diagnosed with dysgraphia because mm. I was so caught up advocating for the second son who couldn't read at all. And he thought frog started with W mm. and the school still told me that that was okay and I just needed to read to him more and perhaps yeah. I wasn't right reading him the right books even. Yeah. That was told to me by his grade three teacher. Mm. So you can see how, oh, man, it was so hard. And, mm. and that's um, a lot to take on because mm. it sounds like the, you know, the blame was being put on you as a parent and the mm. things that you could do, which is, mm. you know, you believe it, don't you? When you're a parent and there's a whole mm. lot of guilt associated with guilt that. Guilt and shame. You yeah. feel like you can't talk about it with anybody else. And I mm. think that's part of the problem for other parents. They don't want to um, talk about it and they keep it hidden. Um, yeah. And so I think that was the key for me was to saying, reaching out to other parents and saying, hey, we're, you're not alone. This is happening to us too. And yep. what can we do about it? And really started that difficult conversation with the school. Like why have we got all these kids who aren't reading, mm. what's going on? So how did that start? How did that first conversation start? Like, well, I suppose it was an evolution, but can you think of a moment when it was like, okay. I can remember because it was. <laughs> I'm going to do something about yeah, this. Yeah, <laughs> it was um, a friend who's a, a nurse and her son was in the same year as my little boy and they were both failing. And um, at the end of the year, we, I was asked in the playground actually, said, what are you going to do about your son? Are you going to repeat him? I'm like, <laughs> Where did this come from? Yeah. No one's had said anything to me all year, despite me saying, what can I do to help? What can we do? And um, my friend, his son had also failed. They really had to advocate hard for him to go into grade one. Mm. Um, and that's really when it, we decided to do something together yep. um, along with that terrific man, Ophi Renner, who is a former principal, but he'd always wanted to be a teacher. And um, he got us together along with another parent, um, 
Can I mention these people's names? Oh, yeah, yeah. So sure. it was Kylie Fotheringham and Denise yes. Sawyer and Ofu Renner. And we formed a small little group at the school. I think it was called something silly like the gift of dyslexia or something <laughs> stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but it just got the conversation going and we worked worked out how we could help the school. Like I think that's the key is not to just go in with blame and anger mm. because nobody chooses to watch a child fail. Yeah. It's just they don't know any better and that's what really um, once I researched it, you know, and really read everything I could and spoke to as many people as I could, I became aware that teachers aren't taught how to teach children to read and they would tell me that themselves. I actually haven't been, I don't know anything about dyslexia. I haven't been taught. Yeah. And so that was a real eye-opener to me um, as a GP because um, we hadn't been taught about dyslexia as GPs. Mm. And so that's the problem, isn't it? Teachers aren't being taught and GPs aren't being taught and yet the diagnosis is medical and the intervention is generally educational. Yeah. Um, and so they fall through the big crack. Yeah. And, um, and we, we, were, we were, wow. We were right in the firing line for failure. I call it walking the plank because it was so obvious. We had speech delay, had that poor phonological awareness, you know, thinking frog star with W mm -hmm. and um, just weren't family history. But And that's funny too. No one ever asked about the family history mm, of yeah. reading failure in the family and I think that's such an important thing. It's always number one as a new patient. You know, what illnesses run in your family? Yeah. It's so important to get the background story of where the child's come from. Um, but anyway, so that's kind of how it started with our own personal school failure mm. um, and then it was – wow, do we move schools? And, well, there's no no point in moving schools because every school was the same at the time. Yeah. And this was only going back 10, 11 years. Mm. It's not that long ago. Mm. Similar timeline to myself. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it's such a familiar story, isn't it? Yeah. Like I, yeah. Hear, I hear this story over and over again and it is usually the parent that needs to step up, isn't it? Yes. I mean, yeah. I, there probably mm. are occasions where... Uh, teachers mention it, and maybe it's just you know the, the well, circle of some, people I move in. But there are some amazing schools now, yeah. but only a handful yeah. in South Australia. So I, I was remiss not to mention Sandra that you're now the national president oh, yes. of Code Red chairperson. Chairperson, yeah. excuse chairperson. me, it doesn't matter. <laughs> no, <laughs> Same word. very important and uh, pivotal. Um, but let's let's go mm. back. So mm. Sandra, you. You saw the difficulties with your own kids. Mm. You started to see that there were other parents in the same boat. Yes. And, and then I remember, so I remember getting a phone call from you. Mm. I still remember this as clear as it was yesterday in my living room and I get this call from this Dr. Sandra Marshall and how far along was that? Because you were building a group. Yes, I think that's probably a year or two into it. I'd been given your name by the principal of the school and it was very generous of her, and she gave me your phone number. But I didn't call you straight away because I just assumed you'd be another, um, uh, you know, you meet all these educators who talk the talk. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they walk and we're I thought, oh, Bill Hansford, it sounds like an old white middle-aged man, doesn't it? I'm like... <laughs> Oh, sorry to generalise. So you're 100% on track there now so far. <laughs> I didn't get my hopes up. But, yeah, how wrong I was and how you shouldn't jump to conclusions. And, yeah, because once I rang you, it was just like, oh, like 
you know, water on a during a hot day. I was like, wow, he gets it. He totally gets it. And we were on talking the same lingo and yeah. and we started to get action and it was about networking, wasn't we? Went to the um, Robin Hood Hotel at Norwood That's and right. invited wow, everybody yeah. along yeah. that we knew that might have an interest. Yeah. And it was a, a really interesting evening. Um, so, Sandra, you you had in mind, obviously, an idea to build something, right? Which has ended up, boy, has it ended up something. And when I... You know, it wasn't my idea. I was pushed into it by Ophi. He right. was 84 at the time. And he said, I just wish I was 40 years younger. And he says, but you got it. you're going to do this, Sandra. I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> I've never been on a committee, you know. I'm not really good with literacy and writing and agendas and all this stuff. But through Ophi, he got this little group of um, his uh, mates, I guess you'd say, mm. to help set up the constitution of our first not-for-profit, which was Dag Bags, which stands for Dyslexia Action Group. Caller. <laughs> What's it? Barossa Surrounds. Thank you. Yeah. I struggle with acronyms, and um, and that was so successful that and our goal then was to have all forty five schools in the Barossa and Gawler region dyslexia wear schools. Mm. So we were working with Neil Mackay. That's right. Yeah, we brought him out from Wales every year for several years, and we um, got over three thousand teachers to come and listen about dyslexia and how to make simple accommodations in the classroom mm. so that children wouldn't feel left out. It was just a magical mm. time, really. It was. So there's a, so even back then there was a huge amount of interest in it yes. from teachers. I mean, that's yes. interesting, isn't it? It yes. really shows that it's more just a lack of knowledge yes. than a lack of interest or a lack of desire to a do something about it. lack of opportunity to learn about yeah, it. Yeah, it's amazing. Less than 5% of teacher courses apparently is, uh, is yeah. um, around literacy, let alone dyslexia, it'd be much, much Less, if at all. Mm. So, oh, gee. So, yeah, it's quite disheartening because <laughs> I only had an email today from a friend who's at a uni in South Australia and she was saying that the teachers don't even know what um, a phoneme is. Like, oh, mm. man. Well, no, I didn't. It's quite. No. Well, <laughs> I didn't do primary teaching, but, you know, or English, but I was speaking to somebody only mm. a couple of months ago who's just finished their teaching course mm. and he said he had one lecture. On dyslexia. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's upsetting. And I guess there's so many layers to that because even my son's who's just finished school, his friends who couldn't get the courses that they wanted to got went into teaching because mm -hmm. their ATAR was so low they couldn't get into anything else. And I think that's dreadful. And now they're working as SSOs and one of them was telling me he's working with his um, Aboriginal boy with autism, dyslexia, who's... Um, a foster child, um, and he's working one-on-one -on -one with him to teach him to read. Mm. I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> Do you know anything about reading? <laughs> nah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's heartbreaking. Yeah. That's current. That's happening now. You think, wow, seriously? Mm. Yeah. Our kids deserve better. And mm. that's – so, yeah, Dagbags was set up and um, we – achieved such success we got lots of awards and accolades and um but the people in Adelaide got a bit stroppy with us like why aren't you making this state why are you just sticking with Gaul I'm like well that's because we live that's where we yeah. started that's where we yeah. are yeah. it's our community yeah. <laughs> and but we felt okay all right then we'll um go up another notch we created dyslexia SA again a new constitution a new all the new branding mm. <laughs> This is all, you know, as volunteers, it was really 
a lot of work, yeah. Yeah. a lot of meetings, carrying a, a lot of, I um, felt like the draft horse, you know, pulling the plow, yeah. pulling yep. all these tied principals and teachers along and God bless them that they, they stuck it out though. They did come along. There were so many amazing educators in the Barossa who, mm. who mm. still stick by us. Yep. So, yeah, we created Dyslexia SA and we had um, the idea to have c- different communities around South Australia. So, you know, hoping for an Air Peninsula community, York Peninsula. We had... Um, Lower Mid-North. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Chantal Dina's group. That's right. Um, and that was starting to take off and then um, through... Because when I started advocating, social media wasn't a thing. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's completely changed the landscape now. Sure has. And I met all these amazing advocates online around Australia and it was decided that we really needed a national group in order to get real change at universities and mm-hmm. at government level. Mm. So um, I said, yeah, that all sounds very interesting. Good luck because I'm busy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then this um, very um, persuasive chap called David Peskid rang me up and he'd offered up the money to, to start it up and he said, um, you know, really twisting your arm here, Sandra, I want you to be the chairperson or I'm out sort of thing. Mm, like, right. Oh, God. <laughs> so that's, well, that's a big vote of confidence. Oh, word it is. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was a big, big deal. I re- have a lot of time for David and he's got a really amazing podcast with, um, what's the ABC chap? Um, Richard. Feidler. Feidler. Yeah, really great podcast. Listen to David Peskid's interview. Was that oh. on Conversations? Yeah, was it? Conversations oh, okay. with Richard We'll have to, we'll have to find that. Yeah. 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 So uh, that's about his school experience. It was dreadful. Hmm. Um, so anyway, that's kind of what happened. And so I left Dyslexia SA and um, in capable hands with Janice McVale. Mm-hmm. Very capable hands, yeah. And then, um, and then you know, starting up this new group and some of these people I hadn't even met. <laughs> that's what's so strange. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was, so it was a lot of trust but a lot of passion and it was a, quite a few trips to Melbourne and Sydney in order to get the branding right and the constitution and – and um, set up the board. So it was a third not-for-profit in less than five years that I'd established. (laughs) (laughs) Do you look back over the last 10 years and go, boy, oh, boy, where did that go? Yeah, I just feel my life's such a rush all the time. Mm. It's so – because if I'm not at work and looking after family, then um, I'm advocating and it takes over. My husband won't let me use the word dyslexia in the house anymore. (laughs) 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 used to be that I'd see people in the street and I'd see them almost crossing the road to avoid me because I guess I hold people accountable. You know, when mm. they see me, they feel guilty like, oh, gee, you know, I said I was going to do such and such and I haven't yet. I'm like, I didn't, didn't mean it to be like that. I didn't mean it to affect friendships. Um, mm. But it has become my life. And um, So what does that look like as an advocate, as an active advocate? Mm. What does that mean day to day? What sort of stuff do you do? Um, at the moment... We're setting up, um, we've got a subcommittee trying to get a Medicare item number for a dyslexia assessment mm, and, wow. then, and then dyslexia intervention. So we've had a meeting with the Medicare guys and they said, yeah, there's no point having assessment for dyslexia if you're not going to do an intervention. Right. So we're in the, in the um, journey of finding all the information that they require, which is really, it actually doesn't exist. Like there's no... No research done to show the incidence of dyslexia in Australia, and that's because mm. of the cost to get 
an assessment done. And that that's always what's fired me up. It's just so unfair that only the rich kids get a diagnosis and the other yeah. kids are just left to fail. So yeah. I know at my local high school they've got 40% of year nines that can't read and obviously they're not all dyslexic, but yeah. they'd all be in that group, every yeah. dyslexic, and they feel terrible about themselves. Mm. So I'm going off changing our time. I'm very no, good at that. <laughs> but, um, so it needs to be Australian data, does it? They, yes. Because, I mean, this has been Medicare's done Australian. all over the world, but they need to have an Australian Definitely. Percentage. Definitely. And then what mm. does um, what does six months intervention look like? You know, before you have an assessment, you need to have six months of intervention. Well, that mm. looks very different it in does. different yeah. circles, doesn't it? Yeah, What's it the evidence? Does. You know, is yeah. six months intervention multi-lit or is it six months just good classroom teaching or is it, oh, and how do you guarantee the quality of the exactly. teacher that's delivering that exactly. intervention, even if it's a yes. even if it's so a program? So they want all this information. Yeah. And then what does success look like? How many sessions do you need yeah. with a speech pathologist? So it has to be being Medicare. It needs to be health and allied health professional. So mm. we're looking to have, if we could, um, twenty sessions with a speechy with possibility of another twenty after mm. that. But where's the end point? Because yeah. yeah. often these kids never reach the end point, mm. they need ongoing intervention. Yes, that's right. So, yeah, that's one of the things we're working on and I've got a, other meetings with um, alliances, I guess, trying to um, network, mm. constantly networking. Mm. Oh, yes. Constantly looking to be relevant. So in March we've got our virtual run, which we'd love you to promote. Yeah, <laughs> yes. absolutely. So it doesn't need to be a run. It can be a hobble, <laughs> a crawl, <laughs> a swim, cycle, but... um. It's an annual event that costs $30 to enter. You can put a whole team in and that's our major fundraiser because mm. we are all volunteers um, and we've only just managed to hire somebody 15 hours a week to help us with our admin, which is a huge amount yeah, of work. Yeah. Yes. Um, Where can so people go to get involved with that, Sandra? Go to our Facebook page. Every day there's a post about it or three times a week at the mm. moment or our webpage, Code Red Dyslexia Networks, on the front page. Yep. You yep. click on Register. And, of um, course, we'll put links to that in our will. show notes. Yes. Yeah. And then um, October is our Light at Red for Dyslexia where we light up things around Australia red. Um, and we used to have events as well. And we had a, a magnificent masquerade ball, didn't we? We did. We sure did. <laughs> didn't see you there, Michael. You would have had a ball. It was oh, and Liz, I, well, I was all dressed up. You just didn't recognise me. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Maybe it's because he had his high heels on. <laughs> yes, that was you. That was you. Um, so anyway, yeah, I guess there's lots of day-to-day stuff. Checking with board members that they're going okay with their jobs because we have, you know, regular meetings and then it's following up the actions and mm. people get into trouble, you know, might have difficulty completing an action and that's my role to see how I can help and push it along. Mm. Um Mm. So it sounds like there's a it's there's multi levels to this, isn't mm. there? There's mm. the level of a parent mm. who perhaps has just got a diagnosis or not even having an identification, just suspect that mm. their kids need some extra support. Then there's the level of you know talking at, with schools and you know education that sort of stuff, and mm. then there's a higher level of talking to government, Medicare, that sort of thing. That's so right. it's really a huge job at all those levels. Mm. If we think now just about the parent level. Yes. Yeah. And think what sort of advice would you give to a parent who either suspects their kid needs extra help or, 
you know, has a diagnosis yeah. or perhaps like many of us is feeling frustrated mm. with their current situation in a school. Well, you have to start with the teacher, don't you? Yeah. It's just respectful to always start with the teacher. Even if you think the teacher hasn't got a clue, you still have to just um, yeah. be polite and talk about what your concerns are. And um, I always think it's so much better to um, use a carrot, not the stick. Yeah. And, you know, I might take a packet of biscuits in and have a chat with the teacher and, and see what you can work out together. If you don't get any joy there or you've still got concerns, then I'd go up to the learning support teacher and say, look, this is my concerns. And, for example, I was asking, why are you using this reading program? <laughs> Mm, yeah. <laughs> and I mm. was told because so and so sister in law did the course. Yeah. And I thought, wow, yeah. that's so random. <laughs> this is just Russian roulette, isn't it? And um, so then I went to the principal because that I wasn't satisfied with that answer. Mm. And um, and she agreed that that wasn't good enough. And so well, then we got spelled essay to come out to the school. And, and it was a team effort, though. And I looked for ways to, I could help rather than just being a, a whinger. Mm. Mm. So when you escalated it up, to the mm. principal, mm. how did you do it? Like well, what? I made a PowerPoint presentation, oh, wow. <laughs> took my laptop in <laughs> and talked about the 44% of Australians that can't read. Mm. I talked about the 20% of year fours that can't read. I talked about the 50,000 year sevens every year that can't read. And then we talked about how those people don't have the same opportunities in life. You don't get employment, you don't get housing, your health is much worse. Um, much more likely to go, you know, into the juvenile justice uh, system, system etc. Mm. So it was, I got the emotion into it because yeah. my son was not reading at all. Yeah. And, you know, I could, I remember the guilt, I suppose, yeah. of the um, principal's face. And um, that's, I think it really connected with her. Mm. And, um, and I made sure it wasn't, just about my child because... Yeah, that's what I was going to... Because it sounds like you came in and gave big. a big picture. you got to be big. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than just, just it's me, my me, kid me. needs this. Correct. Yeah. I think, you know, that puts everybody off because mm. every... There must be so many. I mean, school's such a chaotic, stressful, busy place and mm. to be a principal must be one of the hardest jobs in the world. Yeah. And they get all sorts of things thrown at them like peanut allergies and... Well, yeah. COVID. Garden, oh, <laughs> yes, yeah. COVID yeah. now. But it was nature play and yeah. languages and all sorts. And um, But I just wanted my son to be able to read. Mm. Spelling would be nice and writing, but read is paramount. Mm. Yes. And um, I think, yeah, making that quite clear and we worked on it together, how we could improve the reading instruction at the school. And that's when my little group, we started fundraising. So we sold hot dogs for dyslexia and we mm. had icy poles on hot days and we made burgers and sold them. And all the money was used to buy decodable readers at the school because mm. that wow. was the first roadblock, like we can't afford it, we don't mm. have any yeah. money. So we'll create the money. Mm. And it was just a small group of us. So if I'm a parent out there now listening to this mm. and thinking, okay, well, that sounds great, but mm. where do I get this information from? So you obviously have amazing research and fact-finding skills to be able to just go out and ask and well, find, to find this John information. Martin's. Yeah, but, <laughs> but if I'm a parent and I don't know anyone that's an expert in this, mm. where can I go and, and get information that I can trust? We've made it so easy. <laughs> <laughs> dyslexia webpage so we've got a parent resource section and th things that you can use for 
for your own child with your own school. You can print them off or email them to your school, like um, classroom accommodation for a primary school child or classroom mm-hmm. accommodations for a secondary. And there's also sections for teachers, educators, um, individuals with dyslexia. But, yeah, it's all on our website and we've put all the Facebook groups on there too so you can find close Facebook groups where you can pop in there and ask questions and you get mm. answers and it couldn't be easier. That's the – I must. we were talking about Facebook before and it's a bit bit over the top sometimes but, gee, it's a brilliant tool for yeah. advocacy. Mm. It's like a big – no offence to dads, but it really is a big mother's yeah. group meeting mm. after hours yep. when the kids are in bed and you can get online and yes. ask a few questions and get answers. Mm-hmm. It um, is mostly mums, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, a few I know dads. that's been my experience. Yes. Um, yeah. And when I have done my training, I've usually mm. been the only male mm. in the yeah. room or maybe one other. Yes. And, uh, you know, it, but, but even the kids that I tutor... Um, are usually quite pleased that they found a male because even yes. most of the tutors out there are female. Yeah. When um, I talk to groups of staff, Sandra, I um, is yeah, that I on got, your lap? I got Gidget. Bill's <laughs> <laughs> got a gorgeous little, little, little tart, isn't poodle she? on his lap. <laughs> <laughs> Probably can smell my little poodle. Uh-huh. Um, I, I tell teachers mm. that we're on the cusp of. I truly believe we're on the cusp of things changing. Yes. And I say that's that's. That's thanks to a bunch of angry mums in Australia. And I mention you by name, Dr. Sandra Marshall. Yeah. So a bunch of angry mums. I never used to be angry. <laughs> no. Well, Sandra, we'll talk about the fact that you never come across angry, right? Right. Uh, because I do want to talk to you a little bit more about oh, your method. You're very humble, Sandra, but you always said to you, you manage the slap and the soothe of this <laughs> so well. Because no teacher wants... Someone to come in. Well, look, let's, let's start. No one wants to hear about problems. Mm. And then no teacher is comfortable with a conversation about this system, the way you're teaching, mm. is letting my kid and other kids down. Now, um, you've never worded it that way, Sandra, I know, but mm. but we'll, we'll get back to that. But, yes, it mm. has been mums. It's mm. It started, and I'd also tell teachers, I think South Australia was a very, very big part of this. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, uh, Sandra, so mm. tough conversations. You've had mm. them with with teachers, with principals, mm. with people above principals, regional directors, whatever name they go by, and politicians. Yes. Quite hell, we've been in the office yes. of more than one edu- <laughs> more than one federal education. They come minister. and they go, don't they? <laughs> they do. <laughs> Sandra, I, you're very humble. I. I I've never seen someone manage these conversations as well as you do because mm. it is confronting information when someone says, you're not, we're not doing well enough. And you said right back at the beginning, getting angry never gets you anywhere. How on earth do you do this, Sandra? Because you're <laughs> phenomenal. I think um, you have to be humble and understand that there's um, every adult in a difficult job, be it you know, a politician, whatever, we've all got multiple demands made upon us. And um, being a GP, I'm, I, I find my job incredibly stressful and a lot of the time I feel like I'm making it up as a guy. 
But um, so it's having that respect for other people. It's mm. really important, isn't it? Like you don't mm. know how their day is going. You don't know what else is going on in their lives. Yeah. So you've got that little window of opportunity to make a human connection mm. and it's about advocating for the child. It's not about me or, or you or, or even you, Michael, oh. even though you've got that beautiful moustache. <laughs> it's about the child who doesn't have a voice and, we, you know, that we're advocates for all the kids who mm. don't have a voice. Mm. And I just, you know, it's that vulnerability i think we all have to be vulnerable and once anger comes into it you lose your audience you yeah. lose mm. your um sense of what's what are you there for you yeah. know everyone switches off with anger yeah so you got to have a bit of a spark you got to have a bit of a laugh like i remember i took simon birmingham a packet of lolly snakes and said this because you've got all this snake oil in your schools and he was a bit worried about accepting a gift <laughs> He wondered whether you were giving him poison snakes. <laughs> no, he was worried he would get struck off because he was accepting a gift from a taxpayer. Like not declaring a bag of snakes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so he made sure his reception staff ate them. I think oh, he didn't wow. touch them. But the, that's just, you know, having a bit of fun and, and thinking laterally. And I've always found when the going gets tough, and boy, there's been some tough times, Back off a bit, and I've I've learned that to surge and then relax. And often, when you relax, you come up with a whole new way of getting around an obstacle, which is often cleverer mm. and better rather than just more and more of the same. Yeah. Think laterally and think, how else can we get this message across? Surge and then relax. Yes. Mm. Did you make that up, or have you That's heard that That's from Robert Close, Nick Champion's sidekick. Oh, well, the wonderful Robert, Robert Close and yes. the wonderful Nick Champion. Very wise words, and they've been with us all the time, yeah. the whole time, yep. So, yeah, I, I take that on board. Like when I'm feeling really stressed, right, go and do some gardening or, you know, mm. do some self-care. And then come up with and talk to different people. Mm. And that's the other thing, Michael, is really important to have your tribe. And I've found my tribe. I've met as hard as this advocacy is and it takes up so much of my time and energy, I've met the most amazing people. Mm. And I wouldn't give that back for anything because like the Bills, the Bartecs, all the – all our advocates, there's so many in South Australia and now nationally, hmm. and they're my best friends. It's <laughs> crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Because we have this thing in common and that's about making a difference. Hmm. And even my, my husband, who can be quite grumpy, said, this is probably the most important thing we'll ever do in our lives. Oh, hmm. yeah. And I think that's so true. He's quite wise, my husband. Hmm. Like even though we do a lot of good stuff at work, it's advocating for the child, an innocent child, is what really matters to me. Mm. And, and to I'm have only, that lifelong impact correct, for so many kids. The flow-on effect mm. because it's intergenerational. And I've only learned recently that my own grandpa was a foster child and I wonder whether that is in my DNA that I really feel that sense of vulnerability mm. that mm. the kids who really don't have – the most vulnerable kids, aren't they? They really don't have a voice. Mm. And um, a lot of my patients are that, that cohort of child – and mm, yeah. boy, they're vulnerable. Yeah. And, you know, that's where school, I know they often say, oh, it's up to the parents to do all the homework and get this child to school with mm. breakfast in their tummy ready for learning. But, you know, a lot of the kids are carers. Yeah. A lot of these kids have to work at Hungry Jack's to pay the bills for the family. Yep. They don't. Oh, you know, I might have this girl tell me this week she earns $130 at Coles and 100 has to go to her dad for food and she gets has to put um, – petrol in her car with the other $30 and pay her car rego mm. and she 
oh, she's you know, you just feel for these kids. Yeah. She yeah. doesn't have anyone to back her. Yep. Um yeah, so yeah, so Where it's, were a, we going it's with a really big why. <laughs> so we were talking about how to approach a school, how yes. to approach a teacher at that, at that level. And I suppose the next thing up would be, say, the education department because you've worked at that level of approaching someone mm. in a department, working with, you know, the, the education department is huge and complex. Oh, yes. Mm. We, oh, you know, and, and even oh. from within the department, sometimes difficult to... Remember? Work out how it works. Yeah. <laughs> Let alone we, find the right person to talk to. We had this amazing to. meeting with the, uh, I can't remember the title, it was like the literacy leader. He was really surprised when a dyslexia group wanted to meet with her because she felt dyslexia was, should be under the disability. That's right, um, in its box. And we're like, no, no, this is about reading. This is about the science of reading. And mm. it was all new to her. That was only about five years ago, wasn't it, Bill? Yes, and we were shocked. We we had a series and that's at of the meetings. top level. That's right. Mm. Yeah, um, that was a again the Sandra Marshall secret sauce <laughs> of surge and relax. We met over a period, didn't we? Yes. With yes, yeah. Pre-COVID, so it was a monthly meeting or two meetings a term. Yeah, we'd rock up and meet with the department, mm. and um, often we'd end up leaving in complete frustration yeah. but at least they listened yeah. and it has they, led to change it, it certainly has um what's happening in well there is a surge to speaking of surges there is a surge going on i believe in mm. department for education south australia schools there's this thing called the literacy guarantee unit which is mm. shocker block it's just gold. Yes, mm. with really well-trained, mm. passionate people. Some of them have been on this journey with us, Sandra, right mm -hmm. right from the very beginning. They're our friends. That's right. Um, so South Australia, look, even though there is a heck of a road ahead, there is also a very long road behind us, um, yeah. a very successful road. Sandra, I just want to um, wind back a little bit about this stuff around uh, surge and relax and, and, and trying to not, even though you might be white hot angry inside about yeah. this, I I watch with dismay um, some of the feeds around the parent support groups around dyslexia and I see yeah. some fairly awful teacher bashing going on and I don't, every now and then I stick my toe in and what are your thoughts on that sort of thing? Oh, well, um, we get it too, GPs. I think... There's so many keyboard warriors, isn't there? Mm. And, I, you know, I, when I see these posts on community pages about how useless GPs are, you yeah. just scroll on by, don't yeah. you? Don't, yeah. don't interact because there's often, who knows, again, what's going on in their lives. Yeah, that's right. They're desperate people. And I know mm. how desperate I felt when my son was failing. I, mm. I, I would have walked on hot coals to help him because he, mm. he, he was suicidal, right, mm. at age seven. And that... Yeah. To me, that's shocking that a child starts school with such great hope and excitement with their packed lunchbox and off they go yeah. with their little uniform and the sparkle in their eyes. And but their tail up. <laughs> by the end of the year, the shoulders are slumped yeah. and the, the the eye gazes downward yep. and the other kids are saying, what's wrong with you? How come you can't read? Are you stupid mm. or something? Mm. You know, I remember all that, the taunting. It really triggers me. Mm. Yeah. I think, mm. you know, I must have had something similar that I've blocked out. Mm. And it wasn't, you know, even, again, I'm going off track. It was about angry parents, wasn't it? I mm. think for, as a parent, yeah, you have to be the adult. Don't become, you know, um, 
the person who just shoots your mouth off and you cause untold damage and you lose respect as soon as you do that. You need to develop a relationship. You've got to be an adult and put your cards on the table and ask the school to put their cards on the table and what they can help with and what they can't. And then, yeah, relax and find a solution together. Mm-hmm. How, sorry. Um, empathy, Sandra, is the word that keeps coming to me that you've got to ask yourself, you know, where's this person? What's their life? What yeah. demands do they have on them? And, gee, I, you know what, I forget that. I feel, I feel like I'm sitting before a higher being sometimes, Sandra, <laughs> when you speak. Um, well, we all forget it, don't we? Yeah. It's, a, it's a tricky thing and, and maybe it is part of your day-to-day job. Sometimes to be practicing that, yes, you know what I mean. Sometimes just showing up, it would be a hard job for some teachers some mm. days, I'm sure, because you know they don't get to choose their their pupils. Mm. And um, I know there's some kids around who would be so hard to, and challenging mm. to have in your classroom. And it, it would be well, I know for a fact from from myself, it's difficult as a teacher to separate yourself from that criticism because, Mm. you know, most teachers are very passionate and kind of your self-worth is tied to your view of yourself on how good you are as a teacher. So it's really hard if someone's coming in and saying, hey, you're doing a bad job. It's not just teachers. (laughs) It's everybody. It's everyone who works. Yeah, that's right. We all want to feel respected. Mm. And if you don't show respect, then you don't have an audience. Pack up and go home. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Be a nice person. Put so, yourself in other people's shoes, I wow think, we. too. Well, mm. what a life, what a, what a rule for living. Mm. So, all right, we were, before I um, quite clunkily took us backwards, <laughs> we were, t- <laughs> we, what level were we at? We'd talked about schools, we were at that. We're talking about the department. That's right. And, oh, yes. And, you know, what really interests me is what are the blockages there? Because, you know, as someone like you, you know, you follow the science, you mm. look at the research and you go, it seems very clear mm. what we should be doing. Mm. But when you go and meet with the policy makers or the people making the decisions, what are the roadblocks there? What are they? What oh. are the sort of counter arguments or the pushbacks that happen? Is it about... It, it's a bit like a Trump, Trump experience. It's different... Mm. Um, Different sciences, apparently, Michael. Mm, okay. <laughs> that was how it was initially anyway until we pushed through that layer of crap. Mm. And um, I think we've come, as you say, the Literacy Guarantee Unit and where we, I don't know, if this podcast is nationwide or whatever. But mm. at least oh, it goes everywhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even to Barbados. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's getting everybody to talk the same language and to have the, You've got to have that basic uh, understanding of how reading works before you can progress. So, so you think it is more of just the understanding of it or does oh, money come into it? Or, no, it's mainly personalities. Oh, mainly personalities. So you okay. think of someone who's spent their whole life promoting whole language yep. and then along come these upstarts called Bill and Sandra and mm-hmm. Code Red. And and yeah. And, yeah. 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 <laughs> and, and they, we say... No, that's wrong. Mm. And they, of course, they're going to put their brakes on and, and put their head in the sand and, no, yep. I've only got three more years to retirement. I don't want all this. Mm. And that's kind of what's happened, hasn't it? But yeah. We've seen so many people get pushed out to pasture. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and how do <laughs> you face up to realising that what you've been doing for all those years hasn't been effective? Yes. I, um, gosh, I remember, again, can I, I don't know if I can mention some terrible conversations that, 
Catholic yeah. Ed. Where I was told by the literacy person not to mention the word um, reading recovery. We just weren't going to discuss it at all. Mm, now, and I'd yes. gone there specifically to ask for it to be removed from the schools in South Australia. Because, How long ago is this, Sandra? Just uh, probably six years ago. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Sorry, keep yeah. going. Yeah. And um, you know sh- this person put their hands over their ears like a child and said, we will not be discussing that mm. and sort of stamped her feet. Yeah. <laughs> so wow. that was a good time for me to relax. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I must say, felt so low after that meeting, like, mm. wow, you know, we can't even have an adult conversation. Mm. Fortunately, you know, there's a new leader and um, we were hoping for change. It's not, not going as fast as we'd like. It's mm. a bottom-up change. Yeah, that's true. And I think that's the – it. oh, does it take longer? There's many people that will argue a bottom-up change is the best change. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's got to come from the teachers. But we need to get into the unis. That's yes. the problem. We yes. keep bringing out new teachers who they learn from their peers who still peddling whole language generally yeah. or balanced literacy. Yeah. Hmm. And, gosh, I left out these – where are they? These – all these books. Don't they give you the horrors? These are my book of sight words that were given to my son and we had to remember all these words mm. and tick them. Remember them as visual units. Yeah, as yes. pictures. As pictures. And we yep. were yes. shamed because we could mm. never remember them. And I was given no clue on how to teach him. He just had to remember the whole word. Mm. I'm just reading Sandra's got the book open. It, then, he, had, they, with, of, their, got. And has just got a sight word. I well, it's completely written. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, said there was none of the, um, the teaching small ants in danger. I was no. never told that little acronym. It was just like remember the whole word. Yeah. So this, I kept them because that, they were a miserable time of our life and um, we've come a long way but there's still pockets of greatness yeah. but large um, areas of mediocrity that we yes. need to Influence so mm. that all kids, and you know, having grown in the country, I'm aware that country people don't have choices of what school they go to. You go to your local school, yeah. and it's a small school, and there might only be three teachers. And you so you know, often those are the kids who get told to leave school in year ten, mm. <laughs> go and work on the farm. Which mm. is nothing wrong with that, no. but you should have the right to be literate. That's a yeah. basic human right. Yes, I agree. Fight for mm. it should be a choice. Mm. Mm. So what? What is the long-term goal? So if you could wave your magic wand and have things how they should be, what would that look like? Um, well, I guess we have every teacher really confident mm. to know how to um, screen for reading difficulties, not just reading difficulties, math difficulties, mm. writing difficulties, any difficulties, screening, mm. even like we can make it bigger, autism. There's no screening. It's just random. Mm. You get so many, particularly girls who are like 15, 16, and they've been missed completely. Yeah. yeah. And by now they're you know stuck in their bedrooms, won't leave the home. They're so anxious. But screening and early intervention. Um, so we should have the phonics check nationally. So we mm. have 85% of the kids passing that. Sadly, in SA, it's still not required for schools to let their families know that their child's failed at you on phonics check. Mm. So, and mm. often no action is made upon the child failing that you on phonics check. So, I'm just appalled by that. So, people who don't 
necessarily understand what the phonics check is. Mm. Why is that important? That's checking your um, your understanding of the sounds and the words and it's done after six terms of schooling. So you've had enough time to be taught from your teacher and then it's it's a 40-word um, check, five-minute check, and it picks up quickly which kids understand the sounds and which kids don't. Mm. So the pass rate was 26 out of 40. So, right. you know, I can say, you know, my nephew got 18 and his school didn't inform my sister. Mm. <laughs> and I think that's terrible. And why is it so controversial? I mean, it sounds logical. Dyslexia is this core phonological deficit or, you know, difficulty working with the sounds and words. So we say, mm. well, let's do a screener, mm. you know, when they've had enough school that they yep. should know this by now, let's screen them, isolate, you know, check out the kids that don't pass. Why is that so controversial? Yeah, a, Why has it been so hard? Yeah. Good question. And a lot of um, teachers who, are, you know, who I guess they um, got that, is it Diana Kruger effect where they think they know more than they do? Oh, they just say, yeah, that one. Yeah. They go, oh, <laughs> I just know. You know, you just know. You can just tell which kids are struggling. But that's for the feedback about the U1 phonics check from SA teachers is they're shocked. Yes. They're shocked at kids that they thought would do really well who bombed out mm. and kids they thought would struggle knew at all. Right. So it's it's science. Yeah. And yes. that's what's so wonderful. And so we should have 85% of kids passing that and only 15% needing the tier two and tier three intervention. But currently we've got over 30% of kids needing intervention. Mm. And obviously there's, it's hugely expensive. So if we can get, oh gosh, you know, the year reception year one teachers bang on. To me, that's the most important time yeah. yep. to grab them early. Yeah. And get all the um, medical services in schools because I saw the fences going up around schools and my heart sank. Like I know it's important for child safety, but we need medical services in schools. We need the speeches in the schools, the psychologists. Mm -hmm. That's right. So, yeah, I guess that's the other thing. And my bucket list would have psychologists doing assessments in the school yep. for free. Yep. through Medicare perhaps, so that all children get assessed, any child who's struggling. So those kids who failed the phonics check, done their six months intervention mm. and still fail it, they need to be assessed mm -hmm. and it should be done automatically, yeah. not yep. depending on parent to find a psychologist who may or may not do a good assessment and often will charge $2,000. So it's mm, completely yeah. out of the yeah. ballpark for most families. And then what do you do with that report? Because, you know, that's, that's a big problem. Often you take the big report to school, and I know my report, for my son said, do Orton Gillingham tutoring, and yeah. I didn't even know what that meant. Yeah. And it just got filed away. There's yeah. no Orton Gillingham back then yes. yeah. in where I live. Mm. One hour out of Gawler, I mean, mm. one hour out of Adelaide. It's, <laughs> it was a pipe dream. So I think, you know, we need the assessments to be done at school and the teachers be involved very much in that assessment as well. Mm. Ideally, it'd be great, wouldn't it, one day we have teachers who can do the assessment themselves. Yes. But because it's part of the DSM-5, it's currently a medical diagnosis. Mm. So um, to be continued, oh, yes. <laughs> it's a journey, isn't it? So that's the aim. Teach kids well, assess them, and if they, you know... Catch them. Catch them, give them intervention... Normalise it. And do you think that's it? Like is that going to be? That's not going to be I enough. mean, that's it's, not going to be everything. Yeah. But it's going it, to be the start. That's the, what you're just, aiming for to yes. try and to, I think convince the, people to say this is what we need to do. Yeah, then we need the obviously the evidence-based mm. teaching and the programs to be. I think 
I know people don't like the word mandate, but I do think we need to mandate which programs should and shouldn't be used in schools because mm. I know teachers who just say, I wish they'd just tell me which programs to use. I've wasted so much money trying to work out which one to use and then the learning support teachers moved on to the next school and they're taking the passwords with them and they, mm. that, that program sits on the shelf dusty and it's a huge amount of wasted money. Yeah. So I would like to see, yeah, the government mandate which programs to be used and really teach teach as well. Mm. I mean, in the perfect world, you wouldn't need a program. You'd you'd teach. Yeah. Is it pedagogy? Is that the word? It's such a teacher word. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so are you aware of anywhere else in the world where this happens? No. Like does this actually function as a system somewhere else or are, or are others maybe a bit further ahead than us or further down that path? I don't think so either. Mm. I think there's pockets of greatness in, around the world, but mm. there's nothing that's national. Right. And um, So everyone's struggling with it. Yes. Mm. Yes. As far as I'm aware. I'd love to do a world tour with you guys. Yeah. Let's check it out. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should go to the Maldives. <laughs> I wonder what's going on there. Yeah. <laughs> so we kind of I, – I actually, I, there's something that popped into my head. Sandra – very early in knowing you, uh, and it was either you or Marie Gould, said something to me to the effect of, if this was going on in health, oh, yes. we would not get away It'd with it. shut down. You can't just go on, I reckon, when you're <laughs> dealing with someone who has disease, chronic disease. Trust me. Yeah, um, and, and that really stuck with me because um, just looking at Mark Seidenberg's book here, Mark Seidenberg says that uh, we educators are hugely ideologically driven and there's a lot of we, well, not his words, but there's a lot of we reckon in education and you just couldn't do that in health. No. Mm. No, and that's what I guess I found really Difficult too that there don't seem to be flow charts, and that's a big part of life in medicine. You mm. follow a flow chart of yes or no. <laughs> <laughs> I just know Gidget in the back door. Poor little Gidget. Gidget's not quite sure how to get through the dog door. <laughs> there we go. Good. <laughs> and so, oh, yeah, yeah um, there doesn't seem to be any direction. And again, you. There's no referral pathway because mm. I always thought, gosh, if a teacher doesn't know how to teach a certain child, surely they can pick up the phone and ask uh, a consultant. Mm. But there isn't that system, is there? You're on your own. And a year is a really long life. A year is a really long time in a child's life to be with a teacher who is um, not necessarily underperforming, but they might be, but unable to help that particular child. Mm. And so, yeah, I always think that's a big flaw in education that not drawing in other people's expert areas to enhance teaching. And I'm sure teaching would be so much more interesting if you could see how other people teach mm. and and visit schools and, and yeah, learn from each other mm. more. Yeah, well, I suppose that's where the whole push for accountability is coming from, you know, trying to make teachers accountable. And then, I mean, I don't know a lot about it, but I suppose that is partly what NAPLAN's there to try and do, to try and do a standardised test and it say... It tells you the problem, but it doesn't tell you the solution. Where, yeah. Yeah. And that's yeah. where the Literacy Guarantee Unit's been terrific, but I understand you have to be really quite a struggling school in order to have a, a literacy coach mm. Um, mm. 
granted to your school. So mm. there should be a system where you can ring up for information mm. from that coach. Um, what a great idea. To say, hey, you know, this kid's having trouble with shit and shit and what can I do, yeah. and, uh, for example. But, yeah. It, that's a very common problem with big systems, isn't it? Things have to be dire mm. before that sort of help is offered. It's the old story of ambulances. At the, at I the don't even of the know cliff. dire. I mean, things are so dire, but it's because yeah. they're kids and kids don't vote. Yeah. That the con- it just continues. They have no power. Well said. Mm. And mm. that's why we need to be their voice. Mm. Yes. As adults, be adults and protect them, guide them, be their shepherds. Mm. It, it is a system that waits for failure, isn't it? Oh, Sadly. Sadly, because if you wait for failure, then yes, you may intervene and help the kid read, but the psychological damage is already done. It's done. Mm. You know, the failure state, which is devastating yeah. for everyone. You know, oh, we've yeah. talked about that shame and that. Yep. Lifelong impact. It's almost PTSD that many yeah. people have from their school experience. Yeah. And, it's, and you know, if we use the medical model, it's almost like waiting until someone is so sick they can't Terminal. get out of bed mm. <laughs> before you actually, you know, as a GP, you talk to them. It's like constant ramp- <laughs> No, no, you're not sick enough. You're not sick enough. Mm. It, it's really, I, I think it's, I kind of see it as a form of discrimination as well because... Mm. Definitely. You know, even the way the um, SACE special provisions works, because I had this conversation with someone from SACE at an information evening, they work on how much the kid needs the support. Functional impairment. Yeah, so Mm. to get it, you have to prove that you have needed this level of support for a Mm. period of time. Mm. But let's say I live with dyslexia, but I work so hard that I succeed, well, then, because I'm working so hard, I don't get the support. Yep. But so it's not a level playing field unless you're failing. Like unless I'm actually falling behind, I don't get the support. If I, you know, like people I know, work so, so hard to, you know, maintain my status and mostly I would do that for my own mental health, Mm. (laughs) you know, Mm. so I don't feel foolish, then you're not rewarded for that no you're but gee it's improved so much because when we started um advocating it was complete bottleneck SACE would disregard any dyslexia assessment and say it doesn't matter about that you just need to be able to participate we don't care about how well you do Mm -hmm. it's just about you know entering the race yes and we went in with barristers and (laughs) advocates (laughs) and amazing Annette Brock and Karen Hodson Mm. and fought so that kids who don't have an assessment won't get hard done by and that's part probably why that's come about Michael Mm. is so that kids who haven't had an assessment but they always need extra time they always need a scribe will automatically get that for their SACE Mm. which is brilliant yes and that hasn't happened interstate it's terrible interstate often you need to have another assessment to prove you're still dyslexic Mm. (laughs) yeah Yeah. it's just magically one day disappears and Mm. who can afford that you know and it's having what you're saying to the child you have to prove that you're disabled Yes. And again, and how does that make you feel? Mm. Awful, shame. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, we shouldn't be um, putting our kids through through that. It's so traumatic. So I do like the um, the spirit of SACE, which is yes. saying if you need accommodations, normally that will automatically happen. Yep, yep. Yeah, so, I wasn't trying to be critical. Yeah. I was just trying to point out that whole failure-based system. You yes. know what I mean? It is that kind of emergency 
Yeah. yeah. You know, I think it's when hard it to reaches be- emergency point, then something happens. Yeah. But am I right in thinking that this phonics check that you're talking about would try and stop that? Or be a way yeah. to stop that weight to failure because you catch them before when six, it gets to that point. Yes. When they're six, for goodness sakes, yeah, not 15. Mm. Yeah, the phonics mm. check has been revolutionary, I believe, anyway, yeah. because it has been the impetus for teaching and the way we teach reading to change mm. because all of a sudden there was this measure, this highly mm. evidence-based measure that said this kid's in trouble where, like Sandra said, the kids that were in trouble weren't being spotted. Mm. These kids would usually only show up at Year 5 NAPLAN or what they famously call the Year 4 slump Yep. Yeah. where all of a sudden these kids run out of um, storage capacity for that inefficient way they were storing words, mm. basically visually, because yeah. they had poor phono- phonological awareness which made phonics not stick. So, I mean, we've got to say hats off to South Australia. You know, I know mm. we're South Australian. I'm... Not, I'm not a highly parochial person, but that's been one of our big, big wins, Sandra, and you have mm. been right there in the front mm. seat of that. Yes, <laughs> the union wasn't very happy with me. And that's no. something I had to learn is that the union is there to advocate for teachers. Mm. And they told me quite categorically that we don't care about the kids. That's not our job. Mm. And so we're fighting experience. against the union in order to get what's right for the kids. And so explain to me, because I don't quite understand why this is bad for teachers. Well, they seem to think it was more work for teachers because mm. um, poor old South Australia had to do the running records up until this year. Yeah, that that was mandated and that was ironic because we kept being told by the department that we can't mandate anything and yet they mandated running records, yeah. mm. which is just foolhardy. So that's finally been dropped and now teachers can f- focus on evidence-based screening and intervention without being hampered by those highly wasteful time inefficient running records and mm. also damaging because they reinforced a very flawed yeah. oh, way of that's still reading. schizophrenic mm. being teacher you get told to do it this way and then you get told to do it that way and there's a bit of whiplash involved uh, isn't there Michael? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it's on that hard yeah, yeah and i've learned that it's a system and you again you can't pick on an individual teacher because they're part of a big system and that's right. we were taught early on that moving that system is akin to pulling a cruise ship with dental floss between your teeth <laughs> and it has felt that way <laughs> <laughs> our jaw is aching <laughs> so it's about fighting for the teachers as, as much as anything mm. so We've been talking pretty much exclusively about dyslexia, haven't we? Mm. But putting on a slightly different hat, there are kids who live with dyscalculia, Mm. difficulty with maths, dysgraphia, ADHD. Yes. And I, I think particularly, you know, probably just from my personal experience, a disability with maths can be or is just as damaging. Yes, you know, psychologically to a kid as dyslexia. But we don't really hear about it, which kind of puts it like dyslexia. You know, back when you mm. was when you started and you said no mm. one had ever heard of it, you'd yep. never heard of dyslexia. Do you believe in it? Yeah. I was asked. Yeah. Wow. I kind of think um, <laughs> dyscalculia. Mm. Well, even is, less is known about dyscalculia. Yeah, that's right. And mm. dysgraphia. Mm. And um, so, so it's kind of a two-part question. Does Code Red have resources and information about dysgraphia and dyscalculia. Yes, yes. And even though it is about dyslexia, um, do you do work for kids, you know, advocacy for kids? 
with the other with, Ds. With the other, with the other Ds. I can't say we make that a big focus because we'd be spread too thin mm. as a group of eight volunteers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we're well aware that it's done very poorly because less is known about it and the intervention needs to be with educators and, again, that becomes a private battleground. And I think there's only one, like, known tutor or two in Adelaide, mm. isn't there, in South Australia? So there's where not do you, many. People ask where do we go for yeah. help with dyscalculia and, mm. well, even you have to find out who does the assessment. Mm, so, again, yeah. you have to research who does the assessment. Same with dysgraphia. Who does the assessment? Because some OTs won't, won't diagnose, some psychologists won't diagnose. It's a minefield. Mm. Yes, it depends on which psych ed psychs have which tests and how yep. well they use them. So, yeah, my mm. poor lad had his um, psych assessment age eight, I think, and we suffered through several years of tutoring. It was miserable, really mm. miserable. And then um, he just kept underachieving at school and I'd asked the teacher so many times, you know, nicely whether they think he has dysgraphia and was always told no, no. And, you know, eventually year 11 it came to a head and we got him assessed with by an OT even though he'd had OT earlier, that OT doesn't diagnose, but this mm. other OT did. <laughs> yeah. And it was life-changing for him to get that. He calls it ha um, handwriting dyslexia because mm. yeah. that's how it is for him. Mm. Yeah. And I just can't believe that people didn't talk up, speak up about it because he would only have managed a small amount of writing in the period of time compared to his peers who would have, you know, in comparison done a couple of pages. Yeah. Mm. And even now, you know, his writing's illegible, as is yeah. my husband's. And that, again, goes back to family history. Mm. Um, you've got to ask these questions and be curious. I think that's the other other thing. Like, I do think educators need more to be more curious. And if you don't know, ask, mm. find yeah. out. And, you know, with the internet now, mm. there's no reason you can't. And all these webinars are amazing. That's the silver lining of COVID, mm. isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. The information's there. Yeah. And a level of bravery there. Like, like you said, if there was somebody, I mean, I yeah. actually love the idea of a helpline, like yeah. a hotline mm. yes. where you can call and talk to an yes. expert and say, where do I hey, go? look, here's my situation. You know, am I reading too much into it or could this kid, you know, benefit from a, yes. an assessment? And you can have someone who's so experienced. So is say, sort of in that position, mm -hmm. but Spilled's not in every state or territory in Australia. Mm. But, yeah, and SA, they're a great sounding board My word. for schools. Yeah. Okay, so I didn't I didn't realise that was a resource that well, Spelled offered. So you can call Spelled if you're a parent. Free. As yeah. a parent, yeah. you can ring up for information and you can make an appointment, yep. which do you have to pay for. But yeah. you can start off by looking at their mm. website or Code mm. Red's website and there's so much information free. Mm. But, and um, then as a teacher. But as teachers, yeah, they do. Calling what, Spelled? They do, well. I, they get lots of phone calls from teachers, mm, I believe. They do. And yeah. they run courses for teachers. So, yeah, right. it, they'd steer you in the right direction. Sandy Russell is amazing. She, Absolutely she's wonderful. She's very generous with her time. And I neglected to mention Sandy's name in that list of people before. <laughs> Sandy. But yeah, well, that's Bill, it. It's been a Janice, collaborative Janice. effort. Yeah. And I think that's mm. the other key we haven't brought up highly enough is that it's a collaboration with um, Five from Five, Jennifer oh, Buckingham. Oh, wonderful Jennifer Buckingham. Um, yeah. Lorraine Hammond. Oh, the yes. book's over there. Yes. Um, from Learning Difficulties Australia and Mandy Nate and Oz Spelled and then our local Sandy Russo Spelled. Um, and, you know, now I'm working with Speech Pathology Australia and the Psychological Society of Australia. So it's about yeah. reaching out to all the... 
um, people who have got this in their in their heart. Yes, mm. and so many people do. We're all from diverse backgrounds. It's collaborating, mm. and it's going somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you know what I mean. It's yeah. slow, and we get frustrated, but. Things have really changed a lot. Yes, and I always think you can start. You can just do small changes. You know, just a little thing in the classroom would be not to have the reading, um, well, no level readers. Remove the level readers, and yeah, maybe fundraise at your school to get decodable readers if you need to, but not have the reading league thing on the wall where the kids who are great readers get all the rewards. (laughs) Yes, yes, that's right. Take that away. The on the wall. Yeah, not not to be confused with the reading league in the US who do wonderful work, but the chart of who's at what level yeah. in the wall. Yeah, and the I pen license. The old yeah, pen. remove the pen license. That's right. And don't hold up the perfect, you know, book with perfect writing and perfect colouring in. As this is what we're all aiming for, because yes. it's not achievable for a lot of children. It's unrealistic expectations, and people give up if the if it's too hard. Yes. So and please, please, if uh, a student is struggling to read, don't ask their parents. If they read to them when they mm. were young, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. one of the one of the huge furfies of this, you know, mm. if you're struggling to read, you just weren't read to enough. Mm. Mm. Yeah, mm. that's yes, right. I certainly got that. Yes. Well, where are we, Michael? And have we hit? Have we hit our um, the sweet spot? I reckon we have. I think we have. Um, Dr. Sandra Marshall, Chair of Code red, spelt R-E-A-D. You're very good, There's, Bill. Yes, I need to get that right. Um, it's a play on words, isn't it? It red. is. It's, it's because very Because it's an emergency and red, is it red or read? You don't know unless you're explicitly, I can't say that properly, explicitly um, taught, which is what we want at schools to be, you mm. know, to use explicit teaching. Mm. Sandra, um, thank you for your time, but not just today. You have been instrumental in this country and I probably would say abroad as well, you have moved mountains <laughs> and you have shifted in no indirect way what is going on in classrooms right now. Uh, you and the group that you have built through your wonderful mm. empathy and people skills and incredible ability to bring people on with you. So thanks for having us. Um, it's been an honour Thanks for amplifying my voice. Our pleasure. um, Thanks so much for your um, support forever, Bill. And I'm so sorry it took a couple of years to pick up the phone to ring you. Oh, you! (laughs) It's been a it's been a pleasure, and it will continue to be a pleasure, Sandra. Thank you. Thanks, guys. If you want to find out more about Code Red and the fantastic work they do, then visit coderednetwork.org. If you want to contribute to their work, you can join in on their annual Equal Right to Read virtual run or Light at Red for Dyslexia in October. We hope you got as much out of this episode as we did. You can visit discastia.com for all the notes and links we mentioned in this episode. You can subscribe to be notified when we publish new episodes. You can leave a comment or you can start a conversation with Bill or myself on social media. 